Hello, hello, and welcome back to Season 3 of Pathways by Grenadian Steam. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Here on Pathways, we dive into the journeys of Grenadians and West Indian professionals navigating their careers in the STEAM fields, both at home and in the diaspora. We discuss their failures, their successes, and their moments of learning with the goal of exposing interested listeners to the depth and wonder that is a career in STEAM. I'm your host and president of GrenSteam, Arlene Hayes. Join us. Press that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss a new episode. Today I'm talking with Dr. Kenrith Carter. Kenrith is a local veterinary surgeon with additional qualifications in exotic animal medicine and surgery, who's been operating a mobile veterinary practice here in Grenada since 2015 under the name Dr. Carter Vet. Dr. Carter's practice treats all animals, from dogs and cats to horses and livestock, as well as exotic animals and wildlife. With a strong knowledge of genetics and animal breeding, Carter hopes to make a positive impact on the livestock industry and, by extension, the livelihoods of small-scale farmers on the island. And the love for animals doesn't stop there. Dr. Carter is also an avid birder, the resident sea turtle vet for a local NGO, Ocean Spirits, and he's worked internationally as a wildlife veterinarian. He has so many stories and experiences to share, and I'm sure we barely scratched the surface in this discussion. I'm almost positive that you'll enjoy today's chat. There are lots of laughs and quite a few jaw-dropping moments, for me at least. So if you do find it interesting, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review, or drop us a note on social media and let us know what you want to hear more of. Dr. Kenrit Carter, welcome to Pathways. Thanks, thanks for having me. So we're going to get started just to, you know, introduce you to the people, let them know who you are, where you're from, all of that. So tell us first, where in Grenada are you from exactly? Well, I'm from the parish of St. David's. Um, I was actually born in St. David's. We probably traveled around a bit as a teenager. Then I came back to um, St. David's at the end of my teenage years. And I've been living in St. David's ever since. Okay. Pomrose in St. David's. Pomrose. All right. Yeah. And growing up, like in your primary, secondary school years, what kind of student were you? How do you remember yourself? Well, it, that would be depend on which teacher you ask, you know. Hmm. Because according to some teachers, um, especially primary school was really tough for me. Um, I, I was never really into the school books. I did very well at school, but yeah. not for like trying extra hard. So I did enough. And the teacher, I remember on my report, there would always be, um, Kenrit would be 
Um, Kenrit is a good student, but he would do so much better if he start focusing on his work and not out the window. And I used to Classic. tell my mother, like, look, looking out the window is what kept me going through school, man. So that was like primary school. He had some tough times because... I guess you know how primary school system is. They want you to do certain things in a certain way. And for me, I used to question certain things. And sometimes it got me in a bit of trouble. Uh-huh. <laughs> but like for the schoolwork part of it, it was okay. Like, you know, as long as I got my head down, I, I could do the schoolwork and excel through that. Right. But I wasn't really one of those studious little students who were always in the books. I was an outside kind of guy. <laughs> and when, when I got to secondary school, of course, I went to GVSS. Um, I think it's been classed as the best school on the planet. Oh, but yeah. Okay. Just say in Grenada, yeah. And in there, I was actually involved in sports. I mean, no track and field, run at the intercal team. I used to be boxing as well for, for um, GVSS and Grenada while I was going to GVSS, okay. as well as doing schoolwork. And then we did some of the arts stuff. I think I did Carl speaking in, in primary school. And did a few other things like that. So along the way, I was doing enough academically, even mm-hmm. though I wasn't one of those bookwormy studenty students. But I was also doing good at sports. So I had a balance between sports and school life. It was it was pretty good. Okay, okay. And so when you get into secondary school, I guess maybe is when you start to think a little bit about what you want to do after. What was going through your head sometimes? So okay, no, no. We, it might sound like a long time ago, but when we were in secondary school, <laughs> there wasn't these things like career day and all of that. I mean, yeah. it's only basically 20 years ago. I finished GBSS in 2002. Okay. I guarantee you, I've never had anyone come up and say, you should be a veterinarian. Why do you think I would become a veterinarian when I was in secondary school? Yeah. Nothing. Like, it had some subjects, like, you know, that time we had CXC. Mm-hmm. Like, I chose my CXC subjects basically because... There was a number I liked, and these were the <laughs> classes I liked doing. At that point, actually, I had to do chemistry additionally because I didn't do it initially before I went into university because uh-huh. I did, I think I did like nine CXEs, but I basically just did the stuff I liked. At that <laughs> point, I had no guidance as to this is what you need to become whatever because the chain of thought back then coming from single mother with three children, Everybody was finishing school. The chain, the chain I thought back then was more like, you can't afford university. I didn't even know there was a veterinary school in Grenada when I was finishing secondary school. Yeah. That's how it was. Yeah, yeah. And that time, I think the school existed for maybe 15 years before that. Oh. So um, I just, the chain I thought then was just to come out there and help my parents, you know, well, my mother, mm-hmm. and make some level of contribution, see what's going on in life. I was still boxing at that time. So I had something to do, like extracurricular, but it wasn't like finish school, get into university or go to the, the local community college. It was never on those thoughts, like when I was in secondary school, at no point in time. <laughs> okay. So, but I heard you say, um, I, I probably listened to a couple of interviews of yours, and I heard you say that yeah, you were born to be a vet. It was just always oh. in the stars for you, right? <laughs> Yes. So let me let me explain that part. Now, okay. ever since I was a kid, as when I, there was a joke in my family when I was two years old, we went to Trinidad, and I went outside and tried to pick up a chicken, and the hen attacked me. That's how, like, since I was a very small child, I was always at the lizards. I was like with birds, with animals. I would go in someone yard, and in two minutes, I would have the dog standing on two legs. You know, that was me as a kid. Like, if you look at my like in the 
in in modern time 2021 mm-hmm. if you see a kid doing the things that i was doing as a kid you could just take this person and say you're going to be a veterinarian you should follow this path but back <laughs> then you know coming out it wasn't a common thing in grenada right. so it wasn't like something if you if you were really academic or you were fortunate enough financially to be able to follow your studies mm-hmm. it was like oh you should be a doctor or you should be a lawyer like a physician Mm-hmm. It wasn't a common thing where someone would say, "Whoa, you're like you're good in school. You seem to be good with animals. You should become a veterinarian." There was no one saying that in my time. Looking back on like what I did as a kid, how I was around animals, mm-hmm. it was clear that my path was to become a veterinarian. Yeah, and a lot of the things, believe it or not, a lot of the things I did like in my career that I basically had to teach myself. I was comfortable around certain things. Is things I've experienced as a small child, like, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I knew about sheep and goats, pigs. I got snakes. I caught snakes and hid them in the house. When I was going to secondary school, I would catch a big boa and have it hidden in the house. My mom would be angry at me. I used to hide it. No one knew. I had fish. Like I, I remember with um, just to get extra money because it was three of us. And as a very young, maybe 12, 13 year old, I figured like I can't be asking my mother for extra money to do things. So I bought fish from like the local breeder, goldfish and Sammy's betas and like Hillary's. And I used to breed fish as a teenager and like bring it to school. So I used to keep all these animals and animal rearing with rabbits and all of these things I did as a kid because like my whole life was involved around animals. But at the time, as I said, there wasn't really any opportunity to mm-hmm. be thinking at that point hey, you can become a veterinarian. Yeah. Did you even know any yeah. any other vets? No, actually, the first time I met a Grenadian veterinarian was a few years after I finished secondary school. Okay. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that. And that's actually how I started. I went to university. Because the okay. guy was like, hey, you should you should pursue something in veterinary. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's no opportunity. He's like, yeah, there's a university down here. I was like, for real? <laughs> And yeah, like, no, that was, that is like thinking of it, no. It's like, how did you not know that? But it was different back then. It was yeah. different. And 10 years makes a big difference too. And that guy told me that, and um, he said, you should apply. And he gave me the people who to contact. And I actually applied. And I got into, I had the academics. I had to fix one thing. And I went and get that sorted out. And then I applied and I got into veterinary school, basically through the pre-vet program on my first application. Okay. Yeah. So that's when started when I knew. And even while in the pre-vet, like there was like one or two names you heard about. But yeah. later down the road, when I found out there were other veterinarians locally who were qualified veterinarians that was Grenadians, as time passed, it took a few years before I found out about these people or even met them. Hmm. <laughs> so I want to go back a little bit. So what point was it that you made like the conscious decision that this is what you were going to do? Because coming out of school, you didn't have that in your mind because you didn't think it was an option, right? Uh, so so let me tell you, this is the truth, right? Some people know this story. Everybody don't know this part of the story. Okay. So I used to box. I used to box, right? Mm-hmm. And we were part, I remember in like 2006, we were part of this plan 2004 to make it to 2012 Olympics. So my goal then was to, um, to become better to make the Olympics. You know, the Olympics has just finished, right? Yeah. And... That was the plan. But unfortunately, in 2006, I got a really bad injury to my left shoulder. Um, It still bothers me up to today. And like making it to the Olympics was no longer part of my... It wasn't possible anymore. Hmm. As good as I... Even if I fix the shoulder, I would never be good enough anymore to be at that level. So I had to think of a different thing. 
Now, going back, if I could have still, like, boxed in the Olympics and win an Olympic gold medal versus being a veterinarian, I wouldn't give the answer to what I would have chosen. <laughs> but, let's let's not I, go there. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't give the answer to what I would have chosen. <laughs> but okay. that's, when, um, that's when I decided. And I had a friend, too, as well back then. Her name, she's a doctor, now a physician. I would call her name. I could call people name. Yeah. Her name is actually Alison Jones. She was a teacher, and she was teaching for a few years well. And she said, like, Okata, I'm going to go to medical school. And she's going to leave teaching and go to medical school. I was like, yeah, that's cool. She said, you know, you should try, you know, why don't you go to veterinary school as well? And uh, that was just after the time when the guy told me about the university. So I knew that there was an opportunity. And I said, you know what? I should probably get my act together as well and see if I could make it. And I applied. She actually finished medical school two years before me, I think. So, so yeah, that, that actually happened. So that was one of the two things happened maybe a year apart from the shoulder injury to that conversation. That was like 2006 injury conversation, 2007, 2008, I was in school. Okay. That was the timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Set up. So... Tell us now, what exactly does it take to be a vet? Because I, I know a lot of doctors, I've heard from doctors, but I don't know of any vets who like, have gone through the process. So from the time you got into pre-vet, how many years did no. it take and what did you have to go through? So first of all, I would like to say it's harder becoming a veterinarian than a human physician. Okay, A lot of people don't accept that, but it's true. Because <laughs> they only have to study for one species and we have to do like countless species i've treated at least 50 different species of animals done surgeries on more than 20 different species medical and the rest right. so the pre-vet program was just a specific program for people who are sure they want to be a veterinarian okay so you could have done life sciences where you do like biology you do something and then you try to get in because you need to have a precursor degree to get into veterinary school just like you have to do for medical school. So some of them would have chosen a path where you can do like life sciences, take a break and then try to get back into medical school. Mm-hmm. While some do the pre-med program and you pass an exam and you get into medical school. The same thing applies for veterinary. So the reason I chose the pre-vet program because I was going to be a veterinarian. That's my mission. So right. I didn't think of, I didn't think it logical to do anything else except do the pre-vet program and get into veterinary. So initially... Now, there was a lot of things like we were part of this. It, 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 there was encouragement. At the local university, there is actually a good pre-vet program. And it gave you the foundation you need. But we got down there. Initially, it was a very small class. And we had to do, most of our classes was with the, the pre-meds and the undergrads in undergrad. Some general mm-hmm. classes. And there was maybe just a handful of veterinary-specific classes, which was a very small group of people back then. Yeah. I haven't been in contact with them for a while. I don't know what it's like now. And then there was only like two Grenadians in that. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was it was interesting to know that you were going to school in Grenada and then there wasn't any Grenadians in your program. That right. is back then. I think the numbers have increased now. Because before me, I think there was one or two Grenadians that went through the whole St. George University program. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of years before me. So okay. when I was there, I was the only Grenadian. And then for maybe two years. And then I was the first male. So the other people were all it was women, three women doctors. There are all veterinarians now still. Mm-hmm. One is practicing in Grenada. The other two, I don't know where they are in the world. But yeah, so the pre-vet program initially was a good opportunity to change from the whole short and tie, 
Grenada classroom where you grew up through school to going into university life because right. I opted out of going to the community college. I did not go to Tam CC. Okay. Um, so I went there. So it would be like before doing pre-vet, my only schooling I had was like the primary secondary school framework. Right. So I got into there and then you saw it from a different perspective. And that's when I made a lot of friends as well, like from the Caribbean. I had all the Trinidadian friends. I still have, most of them were still friends today. Mm-hmm. The only pre-vet coming up. And we, we did what it took to get through school because back then we were it was really good. Like the people you met in those initial years, you created you made lifelong bonds with them. So there's people yeah. that you met like in Prevet Tom one year, one that I'm still really good friends with. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. Okay. So you did Prevet. How many years was that? So Prevet, oh did oh I didn't answer that one question. Eh? So the, the timeline basically it, it would either take you seven years or eight years to become a veterinarian. Okay. Same as um as a physician. Okay. No. And the other, the, the following after that would be if you want to do an internship for one year, residency might take three years. So in the end, if you become like a resident or a specialist in some specific field, it will take you as much as 10 years to do. So similar pathways for both um, human medicine as well as veterinary medicine. Right. And in the pre, if you did the pre-course of pre-vet or pre-med program, your first degree would finish on year four, which would be like your first year of veterinary school or medical school. Okay. So I have like a bachelor's of science in veterinary sciences, and then I have a doctor of veterinary medicine out of it. So it took me seven years. I went in a seven-year program. Okay. And that was um, all at SGU? That, yeah. This part was SGU. Now, okay. other countries you go, like I went to my clinics. You had one year that was clinical. So I did three years in pre-vet, three years pre-clinical in veterinary school, mm-hmm. then one clinical year. I did my clinical year in Dublin, Ireland, University College, Dublin. Um, yeah. The Irish people love Greece. If you ever get the chance to go to Ireland, you would love it there too, man. Yeah, um, on the list. But yeah, definitely. The other thing, like over there, like different schools would have different programs. So like the Irish students who came straight out of high school, they were doing a five-year program. Um, so based on where you are in the world and which school you go to, it'd be different programs. So but generally... Is Ireland gen- on the... Like- typical list for SGU students going to pursue clinicals? Well, back in my days, there were there were 25 schools in the U.S. That was options. Mm-hmm. There was University College Dublin in Ireland. There was Scotland, Edinburgh, um, Royal Veterinary London, two schools in Canada, and Australia. Okay. Now, believe it or not, Australia would have been the best choice for me, but at the time then, it wouldn't have been a good place for, for me to be. Plus, Why I've been picking up snakes my whole life. So the the um, it, to be politically correct, it's hard to say it, but <laughs> it was not a very welcoming place for someone like me at that point in time. It is changing okay. now, actually. Mm-hmm. But I had to consider that if I'm going somewhere, yeah, those are the things you're going to live in a country for a year. You need to know what the life would be like. Right. Um. Then. I, I also, I was one that picks up snake, deal with wild animal my whole life. I would probably get killed by a king brown snake because I'd pick it up like Steve Owen did. Cockroach Hunter was my childhood fan, my, my childhood hero. <laughs> I would pick up a snake in the middle of the outback and get bitten and you hear a Grenadian vet student dies in Australia for playing with venomous snake. <laughs> so for my own safety, <laughs> I decided that Australia might be a bit too far for me. And okay. I was I was already and I had um 
there was ups and downs in my vet school time, even though mm-hmm. I was in Grenada as again being the only Grenadian in my class for years. Mm-hmm. Well, for and then there wasn't even much Caribbean people. It was a lot of American students, and it kind of taught things that would help you in America. Right. So even though I did pass my American boards and all of that, I wanted an education that would make me walk anywhere in the world. In case I did not want to go in America because I don't really want to walk in America. I never did. Yeah. Um, so I figured it have to be a non-American school. So those 25 schools was out of it for me. And then I had to choose now London Royal Veterinary. There was a presentation and the choice was between these three schools. And I thought the London Veterinary was too um, sophisticated for me. <laughs> and I will tell you this, right? That's when I had to make my decision. And it was between Edinburgh and Ireland. And I love the Irish history. And at the time I was like, Ireland have it. Ireland is it. And I chose Dublin. And okay. Dublin accepted me. Yeah. But when I went back, to like when I started school in my first ever interview, mm-hmm. I was like, I wish I could go to Dublin for my clinics. That was one of the reasons I applied to SU. Because oh, wow. I completely forgot that during the middle phase of things. Yeah. It's only long after I finished school, I remember something from that first interview. So I chose Dublin. And later down in life, I remember that was actually one of the initial reasons why I wanted to go to that place. <laughs> Look it's at really that. cool. And yeah, and Ireland and the people at Dublin treat me very well. It was an amazing experience out there. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot and I still have a lot of friends actually from that point, that time in life. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a good decision. Okay, and that was one year? One year, yeah. Yeah, so back then I had... Um, I had choices as to what I do next because, again, I passed my U.S. boards. Mm-hmm. Um, there were really good jobs in Canada at the time. It was really good jobs. And at home, there wasn't really an avenue. Right. And based on my history, I had, I had a lot of bad experiences in school here as well. So there wasn't certain things I, wa- I didn't want anything to do with. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to give my best year back to my people. But I didn't know if I would be able to do that successfully because, again, you know, I had student loans. I have all of these things. But I made a smart decision, actually, when I was getting my loans that I defaulted so I don't have to start paying for until a year after I finish school. Okay. So I had, I had a little bit of time I could use as a buffer in time to, to get into the workforce to do something. Mm-hmm. So I got home, actually, the three days after I got back to Grenada, I kid you not, went to the supermarket. And a professor at the local university met me. He was a surgery guy, and I was always good at surgery. And he offered me a job, but I told him, um, let me consider it. I sat, and I had to give him an email. I respectfully declined that job because I didn't think it was the best place for me in my career at the moment. Okay. And he took, off, he took offense to that, but that was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Because, again, it would have been a nice paying job, but the people that I was working against, it wouldn't have been a good place for my mental health. And then, like, the experience you get, I would be teaching people to do surgery yet, but I would not have gotten any veterinary experience myself. Right. So it's one of those things where, like, I could work there for 10 years, I would have made a nice income, but I would not have learned anything possibly. Right. And I didn't think at the moment, I didn't have any options, again, other than, at that point, I did not know if I'm going to be able to start a, um, a clinic successfully. I did not know my next step. But I knew at that time that this step, although it looks very good, this was not the best step for me right now in my career. Maybe 10 years down the road could be another option, but at that point in time. Yeah. And I mean, I mean at, in hindsight, when I think of it, I'm really proud of myself for being able to make that decision. I mean, it was at a time when I was just finishing school. 
Mm-hmm. I had no source of income. I had no idea what I was going to do next. It was a lovely salary, but I did, when I had it, I slept on it, spoke to someone about it, and I'd, it was it would have been one of those things where it looked like you were doing good, but you would have been stuck. Right. And based on how my career developed, because I learned so much in my first couple of years, I tell people sometimes I got like 10 years experience in the first two years as a veterinarian. Yeah. And some people would tell you, you learn more things in the first year or two as a veterinarian based on where you're placed than you have done all through vet school. And mm-hmm. I could attest to that because it was out there. I came back to Grenada. I um, started, I formed some regional suppliers, started a small practice. I didn't even have a vehicle. In the early days, I used to take the bus and go to people. You would call me. I mean, it was, it's, the journey is just so beautiful. It was a, it was a struggle. It wasn't easy at all, but I'm not used to easy, so I don't worry about that. But it was still beautiful. Like to think, like someone would call me in Sotez, and I would mm-hmm. take two buses to get there, treat the animal, have me a little backpack with my medication, I have a cooler with like stuff that to be refrigerated, yeah. treat that animal and get back to St. David's. It was crazy, man. That first year was, the first year of practicing was crazy. I was the best way to, but it was good. So how to get I, clients? You just put yourself out there, you talk to people. Well, so in the beginning, like some, you had a few, you had a few um, good moments. People knew that I got back. A lot of people knew me and a lot of people knew my journey through veterinary school and all of that. So when mm-hmm. I came back home and people knew I was home, I was practicing, you know, they wanted mm-hmm. to see. And then I wanted to change. So what, my mission was not just to put a local face to veterinary, but to bring top quality veterinary care to everyone. And that's another thing that people people ask me over the years, why didn't you build like a building somewhere? Yeah. I told them like the majority of people in Grenada, there's loads of people who have animals. They don't have transportation. They might have farm mm-hmm. animals who need help and no one willing to come. Like the people in the north, I used to be the only person going all the way to the sorties. I mean, I have clients everywhere from by the airport, through Blue Lands, being in the middle of the city, Grenville, Sotis. I used to have in Karikou, but um, I don't go to Karikou as much because there is an animal hospital up there now doing okay. things. But, um, but yeah, initially the mission was to bring veterinary medicine to everyone. Um, not just, and I walk, when I, when I, let me explain that a little bit more. Um, it's like, I have diagnostics. So the same test, you can go anywhere in the world and get like the best test, the test for the appropriate diseases. Mm-hmm. We bring that to you. The medication, the medical plan, the expertise, the knowledge, we bring everything. And some like leading stuff. And I always did my research. I went there to see this is what's working for that. You have to keep educating yourself as well as the changing trends. Mm-hmm, but it'd be right. basic diseases that's been here forever, but there's a new approach to doing it. So do the review. So people, you could be like, I want person were living in the middle of um, a mountain. I drove, I drove forever. I saw no houses. I stopped. I drove back for signal, called the person. It's like, oh, you had to drive two more corners. And like, I had to go up there, vaccinate the animal, did, su- did do surgery on their cats in the middle of the mountain. Like, no cell phone signal. The only thing that went by is the Wi-Fi in the wow. middle of the mountain. And if you don't have the knowledge how to do that, just the background, the anesthesia information, the surgical skills, like I wanted to bring that level to everyone. So the common man could get it as well as the people who could go somewhere else, but they chose me. Yeah. And in the first few years, I was fixing everything, like just everything, anything. You could call me about pigs, goats, sheep, horses. I did a surgery on my horse on a Friday night with a cell phone light in another <laughs> mountain, like below <laughs> Granite and somewhere. And, you know, 
people were hearing stories about all of these things and like it kept going further and further and further. Yeah. Like there was one Sunday, a guy called me with a code that said a rectal prolapse. And I got down, there was a vaginal prolapse actually. And I realized this girl was pregnant. She had a calf full wow. tummy inside her. And we had to do a C-section. Like I had to walk two miles. Like the guy says right there, never believe. That's my lesson <laughs> to people. If you want to be a vet in Grenada, never believe anyone that says right there. I walk for two miles. <laughs> it was crazy, yeah? We get there and we see the cow and I realize there's a full-time calf in this cow. Thank God I brought my surgical stuff. I didn't have a car at the time, so they had to pick me up at home. Yeah. We drove back there. We walked down. I had the medicine I need. I brought my surgery stuff just in case. Because mm-hmm. based on what they told me, I was like, this could possibly be a surgery. So I brought my surgical stuff and we get there in the middle. We had to tie this cow up on a tree and I had to do a C-section and I had a kid helping me at the time. I told the guy, listen, we're going to have to cut. We have to do it right here. And we did it. It was actually my first C-section. And at that, that time, you see, I used to tutor anatomy. I was very good with anatomy. I'm still very good with anatomy. That's mm-hmm. what made me good with surgery. And I've never actually been taught in my whole schooling experience how to do a C-section on a cat. Like I knew the bookwork of it. Like, they, they, like this is how you do that, the procedure. Right. I've never experienced it as a student. So the first time I'm experiencing a C-section on a cattle was by doing it as a veterinarian. But I knew what to do. And I, I had full confidence that we were going to be okay. So we tied this car up. I block it. I do everything. Pull this calf out. Save the mother and the calf. So these guys wow. who were there, they saw this and they was like, this man, this man is amazing. So they went <laughs> and tell every single person in that community about this surgery that we did below a mango tree on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and the, both the cow and the calf survived. So... Then everybody started calling me and there were some pig farmers and there were guys that was like farming and pig for three generations. Yeah. And I went to them and I'm like, listen, I know you've, you've been used to this, but if we change a few things, I could increase your productivity. And they were like, okay, we, we heard what you did with the cow. We're going to listen to you. <laughs> and we changed a few things and all of a sudden, piglets don't die anymore. They're getting animals twice as big at half the time. So they start telling wow. other people. And then it was just like one of those things where this person here often, so they tell that person, yeah. I had a whole street with just everyone. Well, that's the man from the cow. Or that's the man who deal with these people pigs. And they were calling and calling and calling. Mm-hmm. And even years later, this it, it kept up like that because there was another guy who had a blocked cow. Yeah. Someone was like, well, a few years ago, this man came and took out the calf, so call him. And then I went on Saturday morning and do another C-section and actually did a C-section a few weeks ago. That one was not successful for sin because the calf was already dead before we started. But we saved the mother. So, um, but yeah. So a lot of these things in the early days was just because of the work I did. Mm -hmm. And then if you ever see me with animals, I'm pretty chill around. I need any animal. There are some dogs who try to bite me though. Those dogs are crazy. (laughs) <laughs> but like just the way I deal with animals, animals would come up to me. I I would just go with them and I have this natural way because ever since I could remember, I was around animals. Like as a two-year-old, I'm picking up chickens, picking up dogs. So now that I'm a veterinarian for so much years, I've been bitten a few times though. Maybe a few times too many. Mm. But it's never bite the dog. Like a dog, you would walk in someone's yard and the dog would tell you, I'm going to bite you. I never get bitten by these dogs because I know what to do. It's always when someone says, well, sometimes I have been bitten a few times, maybe too many. Yeah. But um, it's not like every day. Good percentage. Maybe every year I get two dog bites, eh? I think. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. All right. So so you came back and this started taking off just from from you just doing what you do. Uh, I do know that you somehow ended up in the Czech Republic. Oh, That's another oh, yeah. point. When did that happen and why? <laughs> so um so the other thing, because I was seeing a lot of exotics, because again, I deal a lot of wildlife, I'm always in the bush. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to increase my knowledge in exotic animal medicine. I was okay. seeing parrots, I was doing surgeries on monkeys. And so that same timeline, oh yeah, and another part in the timeline would be in, after Hurricane Alma in 2017, mm-hmm. I went off on a relief mission to the BVI with um, Richard Branson on his island. So I had to treat like lemurs, Endangered Galapagos tortoises, there was um, iguanas, flamingos, um, parrots. It was crazy. It was after the hurricane, everything was devastated. I was given veterinary care, had to do a lot of management. So the knowledge I had before, actually from working in Grenada, actually had me pretty good because I could do field medicine, field anesthesia and surgery. I was really good at that. So before so we go on to the question, to uh-huh. yes. how did you end up on Richard Branson's island? <laughs> well... I guess I answered my phone. That's the best way to put it. I answered my phone. One student, a student friend of mine messaged me one day, said, um, this guy, no, I did not know who Richard Bronson was. Okay. She messaged me, this guy is looking for a vet after the hurricane. My mother and my sister was in the VI. My sister lives in St. Martin, my mother in USVI. Okay. I didn't hear from them. So I was like, I'm going to take a break and go up there and look for them anyway. But I didn't know how I was going to get there. So like the subconscious mind was, I'm going up the islands put that thought behind this saturday morning two of my friends were sitting by me one saturday and this person messaged me she's like okay this guy is looking for a vet to come and help with some animals do you know anyone that would be willing to help and i was like well i don't really know anyone but um let me see so the two guys are sitting there i'm like hey you're gonna feed my dog once here i say you're gonna take care of me call the other ones here I call her back. I'm like, yeah, okay, I could do it. Who's the guy? What do I have to do? So she put me onto another person. He's like, oh, you're going to come. We're leaving at two to go to the BVI on a boat. I'm like, man, I don't want to go on a boat because I'm like in the sea for how much days? He said two days on a boat. Then he says, it's not just any boat. It's a super yacht. But I don't know if you've seen the Neckabel. The Neckabel is like the largest catamaran yacht that exists. I have the it. thing was beautiful. It was beautiful, but I was petrified. I'm not going on no boat for two days on the open ocean to get to. I was not too comfortable with that idea. <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to help. So then I pack a bunch of medication in my, I had like a pack a bag with just medicine and surgery stuff. Mm-hmm. And a smaller bag with clothes. I'm like, okay, we're going. The guy's like, they're leaving at two. So I'm rushing to get there to. He's like, don't worry, we'll wait for you. I'm like, you wait for me. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get down there, we eat and we set up. We set seals that same afternoon from Grenada. It happened like the same day. Wow. From Grenada, like Saturday morning, we spoke on the phone. Saturday afternoon, we left Grenada. Um, we went to Barbados on the boat and actually decided the boat would take more stuff loading up. So then, like, I met this guy. He's like, oh, you could go with Sam. That's Richard's son. And I was in conversation with someone, and she's like, and I was just nonchalant about the whole thing. And she's like, tell me you don't know who Richard Branson is. I was like, nope. And she showed me, like, a Google something. I was like, oh. And I'm sitting in this in this super yacht, <laughs> and I got the master bedroom with like gold lace pillowcase and like really cool, a big 72 inch TV. I'm like, well, this is making sense right now because it was you're like in a first class hotel on a on a on a yacht, a catamaran oh yacht, goodness. you know. <laughs> but we get there, but it it was a nice time. Like I mean, we did live some good life, but it was a nice time for networking. 
and to see how people came because it was after the hurricane. People just appeared. Like we got to Barbados, people came and helped load this boat. A whole line of people. I didn't know who, I didn't know any of these people. Mm-hmm. So I left with Sam. She's like, that's Richardson. You'll be going with them. We shared hotel and that's Sam Branson. And we're still good friends now. And we shared like hotel and everybody thought we all knew each other forever. And then some guy was like, you're going to charter a plane for us. A guy was like, well, I'm going over there with my private plane anyway to try to help. You can go with us. Next thing, we take a plane from Barbados to Puerto Rico. Boom, a small plane. Um, we get to Puerto Rico. Everything is closed. Then Richard actually opened the whole country, man. He's like, okay, Carter, we're going to go tomorrow at nine. The country is closed, but Richard is going to work on it. They call me in the morning. It's like, okay, we're leaving at 11. It's about nine. We take a helicopter from like... Um, to Puerto Rico to the BVI and then we get to the BVI we see all the destruction that's the first time I met Richard actually the night when I got to Puerto Rico mm-hmm. he's a pretty cool guy he's a nice man eh? and we were there and I was at the, I was at Necker Island based and we would take the boat to different islands so I did all the veterinary stuff there there were vets in the BVI but they were all locked down on Tortola okay so I was the only vet on all the other islands so some days I deal with horses other days I do dog travel stuff then I had my own exotic animals with the flamingos and the lemurs and all of that on Necker Island and the other islands then we did so we did relief like Sam opened a soup kitchen so we fed people dropped tarpaulins you know we did all of those post-hurricane things too it was crazy and then um, as soon as we got the connection back up we found out another hurricane is coming to hit us so oh Maria was coming. So then the same boat now had to evacuate me. So I spent two days on this boat from the BVI straight down to Grenada. Um, but it was a much better experience the second time because I was not scared to come down. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that sounds so, like a movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was crazy, but that's my life, man. That's my life. Uh, the people from then was me, Sam, Josh, Rory. We're all good friends still. We keep in contact. I think in 2018, when I was going to the World Cup, I stopped. Me and Josh was hanging out. Sam was in Bali or something. So I still have these contacts. And we speak now. And then maybe once a year, people, I don't speak to people a lot. Like, because I have a lot of friends, different places in the world. So mm-hmm. once a year is good enough. Once a year is good enough. <laughs> but okay. yeah. So back to the Czech Republic question. Right. So after the whole post hurricane relief thing i thought like maybe i could invest in further learning more so that in the future how can i do this better so whenever i experience something mm-hmm. even if it goes as planned one of the things i do is how could i do this better next time what would have made this easier so i made these mental notes and that's how you develop because i had no one to compete against i compete against myself year after year after year right. and then that's how you have to just keep making yourself get better if I'm the same as I was last year, then I'm feeling at something. That's the way I think. <laughs> so um, I, I went there and I found out from one of my friends in Austria, who I did some bad research with here, that there is an exotic summer school from Bono University in the Czech Republic. Um, I think Dr. Kostek, I cannot pronounce his name. It's one of like the leading wildlife veterinarians in the world. Okay. They go like all over the world to do stuff, animal trapping, all sorts of things they do. Mm-hmm. And he was having a summer school and we, I went, I got accepted. It was limited spots. I got accepted, did the whole thing. And I needed a break at that point. So I was like, um, going to take a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. I did like the little, you know, the little three months. Like when you live in the Caribbean, you go to places like Europe for vacation because they have what you don't have, you know, the cold and the mountains. And so yeah. <laughs> I did the basically three months tour Europe. I think I was at like 17 different countries, went to the World Cup in Russia, made some really good friends. Okay. And 
one of the parts was the exotic animal summer school. So it got me a different perspective, different new treatments, different methodologies. A lot of the things I saw, a lot of things that I was already doing. And then I learned new stuff that um, I didn't do as yet. Mm-hmm. So it was good. It was one of those to, to advance my um, knowledge in something that I have an interest in. And the coolest thing about the summer school was the Dr. Kostek guy and the curator of the like Borno Zoo. Yeah. They were good friends. So one day they closed the zoo and we had the whole zoo to ourselves. Wow. Like a whole zoo. Imagine having like an entire zoo to yourself. We could go there and look at the lions. We went there to look at the wolves. And then at night, that night we had dinner at the restaurant at the zoo that was like near to the, um, the wolves, I think. And they, they would come around. It was really cool. Clearly you've done a lot of traveling too. So I'm guessing that's like another passion of yours or is it just you, you had the opportunity so you took it? I think, I think um, a bit of both. Yeah. So I've become a bit of a travel bug. I've been to 33 countries, I think, now in the world. The okay. same multiple times. But as a kid, again, one of the things I respect my mother for doing when we were really small, we had family in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. But back then, traveling was much easier than now, right? Yeah. Even for the cost. Like, you could afford to bring three children to Trinidad or like BWIA. So a couple of times, she took us on... Um, a short trip so being able to experience traveling like on a plane when i was a young child i was excited mm-hmm. so one of the things and then i followed football and, and athletics again i wanted to go to the olympics so a lot of the countries you hear about oh the yeah. funny thing a lot of the countries i heard about as a child i've been to most of these countries now as an adult so it was good and the more you travel the more you realize you see a lot of things that's similar Mm-hmm. your home and a lot of things that's different mm-hmm. and it was good to see like certain things that was just so similar and then other things that was way different even with the infrastructure the technology the way of life the culture the food i love the food everywhere i travel to i try to have some of the the, the local cuisine right and and some of the local beer um, kids don't drink alcohol but some of the <laughs> local beer uh, is one of the things that I, I like doing and just to experience the people and I have a lot like I've been to Russia and you know the things you see in the media about Russia mm-hmm. then I get to Russia and I make some friends with a family and they invite me over to yeah. lunch they cook a whole barbecue we eat the barbecue we they have all these homemade they had homemade vodka too and um <laughs> all these different russian cuisines and we go off like to the river they eat like dried fish it's a nice experience so a lot of countries i've been to i've actually gone away from what you'd call the tourism belt and see the things like that that's, we've had, like, that's the, the actual best. authentic experience yeah 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 and then i do a lot of boarding and hiking Okay. So I'd be on hiking trails all over the place. I'd be going off looking for rare bird species. So yeah, I like traveling. I think everyone should try. Well, it's different now. I've only traveled with COVID when I went to Africa and, mm-hmm. and back. <clears throat> it's definitely different now. Yeah. But when things calm down eventually, it's really good to get the opportunity to go somewhere and experience a different culture or a different country. For sure. 100% agree. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So... Over all the years, all the crazy situations you found yourself in, is there anything, any occurrence, anything that really like changed your outlook on the profession or or shifted your interest in a big way? Negative or positive? Either one. <laughs> what else comes to you? I think um I think I think let me see. I'll I'll give you one negative tip, then one positive tip. Okay. Um, 
one of the negative things would have been uh, returning as a young professional. Mm-hmm. Um, I had loans to pay. I had a, I know had a career. Like before that, they tell you, you go and study and become something, and then you're going to make it. They, they'll open doors for you. You know, they tell people that. Yep. And coming back basically with nothing except my degree, but I had so much ideas and I had so much things I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I went to the bank. And they ridiculed me. I wanted a loan to start off just to buy medication. As I told you before, I had to like take the bus with my liquor backpack. Yeah. I had to put together whatever money I could find and send it for somebody to go to the suppliers and buy my initial medication. And that's how I built my practice. I had to like take everything I make, send it back and try to build and build. And as a young professional coming back to your own country where you want to put like work in, there should mm-hmm. be financial institutions waiting to support you. Yeah. Like they went to them. I wanted to do like something with the ministry and still do private practice. And they was like, oh no, we don't have no space for you. And at the same time, there was no veterinary as well. There was two in there. And they had a veterinary shortage in like the Ministry of Agriculture. And back then, that was one of the avenues I wanted to also indulge in, as well as build something for myself. Right. So there wasn't any opportunity for you to like come back and and get something a start or a foundation mm-hmm. and then even though you went to these financial institutions no one was willing to help a lot of years later when i already established myself and they see me in like a tv and gdp helped me with with other things then mm-hmm. other people was like oh why don't you take a loan with us i'm like no man i don't yeah. need your loan <laughs> now i don't want your loan like and a lot of it's not just me. A lot of the other young professionals coming back, they experience that. It's yeah. really hard because I've seen other people from other demographics come to Grenada. They get a loan instantly. Boom, they make it. And the Grenadians coming back, a lot of Grenadians try for us to do something at home. And I still think I'm one of the fortunate ones who had an opportunity to succeed. Yeah. <clears throat> but there is a lot of people who would have been willing to come back home give maybe four, five years, give 10 years of their life. Because when you're young and you're strong is when you should give that time and give it to their country. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the, the opportunity does is not there. And even if Very you true. come with the best plan, because I had a good plan back then, and then I had to alter my plan a little bit, but I'm a stubborn guy, so I kept going. <laughs> and I gave myself, in the early days, I gave myself a number. And I said, in three months, I need to reach this number. And if I don't reach this number by that time, then I have to look somewhere else. And yeah. fortunately, I, I got to that number in that time. And sometimes you have to set marks for yourself because if you don't do that, you could end up spending time in something that's like in the dead end and put yourself worse off than you could have been. And at the end of the day, you know, we're not like, this is the only place I'm qualified. I'm qualified to walk all over the world. I've walked all over the world, you know? But along yeah. with here in Grenada, and it's I wish that more people coming back, not just veterinarians, it could be in anything. But you come back in a profession, you're passionate about it, you want to do something home. I think we should create more opportunities for these people to be able to start, mm-hmm. get some financial support. Because a lot of people don't have the capital, a lot of us don't have property, you know, all yeah. of these things. And there should be something in place so more people like me. I would like to use myself as an example who <laughs> coming back <laughs> to do something can have the opportunity to succeed because going to school is hard. Well, I have tried since I have everyone I know after me, I, I go there now. Again, I put my profession before personal biases. So like 
every vet, and other veterinarians who've passed through the system after me, mm-hmm. whether they're willing to or not, would admit that. So whenever I found a way to make something easier to get another opportunity, I went and I gave it to the people coming. I'm like, listen, this is what I experienced. You don't have to experience that. This is who could help you. This is who to go for that. Like I remember something simple as housing on campus and yeah. like books and vaccinations. And I couldn't afford books when I was in veterinary school. But there was a clause in place so that the Grenadian students could get books. But there was no one before me, so no one told me that. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I like I found out eventually, and they was like, you don't have books. I said, well, I can't afford books. I just I'm struggling to come to school, you know. Yeah. And they gave me books and housing on campus, and they gave me all my vaccinations. I had to get loads of vaccinations, and they were so expensive. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I sent another email after I got everything. I could have stopped them, but I sent another email. I'm like, okay, so how can I make it that every veterinary student that's Grenadian community can get these things as well? Right. And the person was like, just tell them to email this and tell them that. And I saved it. And two years later, someone else was coming. I'm like, listen, email this person, do this. This is what you're going to get. And the only request I had was to pass it on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it, it ended at a certain point. Um, again, veterinary medicine is not a, a popular choice. Right. So the majority of people going to university, you get the scholarship, you go into medical school to become a, a physician or you want mm-hmm. a doctor. Mm-hmm. But on, like back then there was supposed to be certain slots, but even like this year, I had students with me. I keep, I do give experience to the local people interested in becoming veterinarians. Um, I used to have a lot of internationals, but most, I focus more on the locals now. Um, not that I didn't before, there just was not anyone before. There are more now. Right. Yeah. And, and like, they would be there and there was three people that was eligible for scholarships and they only gave one. <laughs> and I'm talking about really good grades, better grades than I even had and <laughs> more passion and more experience than I had when I was going into that level. Yeah. And it's like, so we're, it, we should try to do more to develop our human resource and these people. And I guess people like me, we, we're trying. I'm not, I can't yet say if we made that difference. I guess over time you would see if it made a difference or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah. Okay, so that was the the negative experience. <laughs> the yeah. positive, the positive. One of the best experiences is like there's a good few. There was a good few, and most of them would be like emergency surgeries. I remember this one time someone called me on the phone about a dog that was given birth, and just by explaining my knowledge of like veterinary medicine, anatomy again, and surgery, just by what they told me, I was like, no, the pups are sick. It's an emergency. We need to go in. And I used to take things in for surgery. And I got to that person's house and the only thing to save this dog and the pup's life was to do that surgery then and there. So I sat right outside in the veranda, put the anesthesia, went and did the surgery. I saved all the pups and the mother. And it was amazing. And that was like a eureka moment because then it didn't make sense. Like all these surgeries, like I've done thousands of surgeries on tens of different species and animals. And a lot of it I've done in the field. I do like different anesthesia, for like a horse, it would be different for a board, for instance. I've done surgeries on parrots and mm-hmm. monkeys, you know? So one of those, to be able to just have a conversation with someone and be so competent of your profession that you could tell, okay, this is what's happening. This is what we have to do now or else it's going to go really bad and be able to go there and do it and have what it takes to do it. Like yeah. that's a big win. And that's some of the good things. Like that was a big win. Those dogs, I mean, I've done many of that since then. Mm-hmm. But 
uh, my career has developed now that you could we could just be having a conversation. I might ask you what might seem as a simple question, but the answer to that question can open like many doors into what's going on and I can tell you exactly what's going on and to be able to come from the early days to this now it's yeah it's rewarding so that's a good that's like a good thing that's always a good feeling <laughs> <laughs> all right so so we we wrapping up soon but I have a question that might seem kind of strange but mm-hmm. it came up somewhere and I need to know is it true that you're an international dog show judge <laughs> Okay, that that is also true. So, um, I remember one of the other things, like I've always, I've never remember had a time in my adult life where I did not have multiple dogs. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And I'm almost always had pure-bred dogs. It was one of my passion too. So if as a kid, I would look at the AKCs, I would look at these shows. This is one of the things. And in one side of the world, I guess, which like on the West, most people talk about Spear and Nuta and Mm-hmm. and all of those. And the other side of the world with actual breeds, with functional breeds, veterinarians are very competent. And one of the things would be to educate people on different angles of what they believe. So some people, you can tell them, a lot of veterinarians cannot give you that argument as to why you should not spay a dog, for instance. Mm-hmm. They spay the dog so he doesn't make puppy, he doesn't catch parameter. And I respect them for that. Mm-hmm. But there's an alternative. And in my quest alone, again, every day for me, is I love to learn new things. Like, if I'm wrong about something and I can learn something new about it, I'm excited. Yeah. Like I'm super excited to learn new things. So one of the ways following breeds and again, in my time in Dublin, I had some mm-hmm. friends in the Dublin um, community. And again, based on my knowledge, my expertise, my interests, they invited me first to do the first dog show with them. And I judged a couple of dog shows over there. So one time I went over for summer and I had to do like two dog shows and I went off to another part of Europe and come back and do another one. So yes, okay. I, I am. And that, that have happened. Um, I haven't done anything in that field, I think, since 20, maybe 2017. So it's been a few years since I've done any okay. show judging. I but remember once I wanted to do, yeah, I wanted to do like um, a show in Grenada and a couple of us got prizes together. We got mm-hmm. the ribbons, but unfortunately we didn't get enough feedback to do it yeah. those ribbons are still in my house now from like <laughs> Grenada dog show so yeah um dog, in the future it might be something i might do again yeah one day uh, yeah, yeah 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 okay mm-hmm. i i just i had to know i had to know <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was about the africa stuff but yeah, the dog show stuff is good <laughs> okay so i don't want to take up too much of, more of your time i know you're a busy guy but um what advice do you have to give for younger people coming up, somebody who might be interested in veterinary medicine or just somebody who's trying to figure out their path and they're not sure what to do next? Um, that's a good one. <laughs> I think like one of the things I say believe, well, it might be some of the basic stuff, but just believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Come up with a plan, even at times when it seems impossible. Because two years before I went into veterinary school, that seemed impossible for me right. but it happened and it passed and never worry about the time like i was having um, a discussion with another guy who's thinking of going to medical school and he, like it would take him maybe seven years i'm like don't worry about the time man one of the things i remember about when i just the one year when i was going off to, to, to dublin mm-hmm. the last person i saw when i left home he was wearing a t-shirt and a slippers down the street and i came back a year later he had on the same t-shirt and the slipper and i'm like it was it was the most random thing but it was it gave me a lot of thought i like some people would spend one year and do nothing for that year 
Right. So if you're trying to do something to go towards your dream or you're going towards your, your career that you want a little bit of betterment, giving it five, six, seven years, it might seem like a lot in the beginning, but guarantee when you're finished and you're successful, you will not regret it. So don't let the time be a deterrent. Don't let the language be a deterrent. There's a lot of opportunity now. You can go to a different country, um, learn a different language, become mm-hmm. a doctor, become something, an engineer. And don't let, like, don't let, don't do like a career that you're not passionate about. I mean, it's going to have to say, but don't do it just for the money. Yeah. You know, some people might say, well, if I do this, I might make a lot of money. Don't always do it just for the money. Have some passion about what you do. One of my friends from undergrad again was a guy named Ifan. He was he was brilliant. He was of Asian, an Asian guy. Mm-hmm. He was brilliant academically, but all he wanted to do was aviation. And his parents wanted him to be a doctor. Yeah. He's probably a doctor today. But this guy, when you go to his room, he could tell you everything about plane and flight paths and flight channels. And that was what he was wow. passionate about. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, his parents wanted him to be a physician. And mm-hmm. although he would become a good physician, he was never really happy about that. So sometimes something like even now, like there's people who love farming. Don't let um, what someone else's perspective of your profession deter you from becoming it. Because a lot of way along the line, people was like, why want to be a vet? People don't like animals in Grenada or this and that. You know, those kind of, it's still negativity. Yeah, they might they might not think it's negativity, but like you don't detour someone from that passion because that was one of, going into veterinary school was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, and a lot of people might be there. They might be scared if the up if the the path you're trying to take does not work, look for another path. Speak to someone as well too, mm-hmm. because if I'm very vocal about some of the things I've experienced, both the good and the bad. And just by doing that, a lot of people that came after me yeah. who got in a similar experience could now come and say, oh, yeah, you know this thing you were talking about? This happened to me too. This is how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. And just by, just if you meet a block, speak to someone. If you don't want to speak to a random person on the street, you can get like a therapist. You can get, speak to someone. Get it out there. Don't keep it in, you know? Um, and just never give up. I mean, those the, the basic thing, never give up, follow your dream. I know it sounds like what everybody say. Yeah. But you would literally reach to some point. Like even when you're in veterinary school, you could be in medical school, you could be in engineering school. There would be something one day when you sit and you ask yourself, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And you need to be able to answer that question. So if you can tell yourself why you're here and why you're doing this, and it doesn't mean anything to you, the answer you give, don't go down that path because no there there are people who literally went seven years through medical school Mm -hmm. got to the like their step exam to go into an internship and then they realized listen this is not where i want to be this is not what i want to do yeah and they're going to do something else there are people who had entire degrees and started a business and then two years in you realize this is not where i want to be don't be afraid to change your mind and it's never too late I remember we had the perspective with like when you tell someone like like teenage pregnancy, for instance, mm-hmm. like if you're a teenager, you make a, a, a child, then that's the end of your life. Now you're seeing I have people who are mothers. One of my, someone who started veterinary school years after me, two years after me. Mm-hmm. When she started, she had an 18 year old daughter, right? Wow. Yeah. So, and, and you finished, you finished two years after me and your kid is an adult, you know? 
-hmm. Another person came back, retired. They had an entire career. And other demographics, people from other um, ethnicities and different parts of the world, they do that. And you can start, you could be 30, you could be 35 and decide, I want to start something and go to it. You know who we can use as, as an example? Who? Sam Richard Branson, who went to this two space the other day. He was 32 before he got come up with the Virgin idea, 32. And now he's like one of the best businessmen with Virgin Mobile, Virgin Space, Virgin Atlantic, Virgin everything. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're never too old to start something new. And you're never too young to teach and you're never too old to learn. I used to remember I, I, one of the things I tell the people around me is learn as much as you can from whoever you can. And I, I did that. I remember a certain time I was with other students. Let's not bash the American students, but it was more American students. And mm -hmm. the professor would come and say something. And they'd be like, oh, well, I know this. And they would give the wrong answer. Right? And I used to just laugh. The professor would come to me. Something I know the answer for 100%. Mm -hmm. But I'm the student as the professor. While they're telling me, I just smile. And I listen to everything they're saying. And they'd be like, okay, you knew that, right? I'm like, yeah. There's like, okay. But you need to have, sometimes even if you know the answer, you know, just the, the attitude you bring towards learning mm -hmm. have to be good. And never be afraid to get a, an answer wrong. Like they would ask questions, especially in clinics, one of the things from the clinical experience. Someone would sit there and say nothing. Now, if you have, if you, you, you say the right answer, yeah, you could, the teacher would confirm, the clinician would confirm, okay, you knew it. But if you say the wrong answer, yeah. Then they would you have an opportunity to be corrected in a practical setting. And you'll and never that makes forget. a big difference. That makes a big difference. Because mm -hmm. you now think if you get corrected in a practical setting, you can all use like an animal because I'm a veterinarian. I use a dog, for instance. There is a dog there discussing the case. You say something wrong, they'd be like, okay, come and look at this. This is why what you're saying is not accurate. This is the accurate answer. And you get to learn. So a lot of people will be afraid, never be afraid to answer questions. Never be afraid to ask questions as well. Um, it might not always be a positive experience, but never be afraid to ask questions. Again, I won't, I don't want to like put a lot of the, the, the negative stuff, but my journey was not one of those blinded milk and honey journeys. There was a lot of negative experiences along the way. Yeah. But I found a way to survive through it, you know. I tell people I'm used to the trenches. I remember once when I was in undergrad. Listen to like, like this is unbelievable. I used to have to go to school. I went to the university and people was like, you're going to St. George's University, you have money. I used to have to survive on $20 a week. I was living on my own. I had my own little house that I put together for myself. I was living on my own. I had like $20. Think of it, $20. You can't even buy anything. With, you can't buy a meal with $20. That's barely bus fare. <laughs> I didn't used to take the bus. Okay. I used to bomb ride. I used to go down in the morning. I wait for anybody going to issue, get the ride down. And in the evening, I would bomb a ride up. So I didn't have to actually pay the bus. Okay. And then you know to, to eat lunch. Mm -hmm. I used to tutor people in undergrad and I say, listen, I'm going to help you pass this class. You just have to buy lunch from me. So every day lunchtime, I tutor this person and they get me lunch. And I and I used I used my like that to make it, you know. And you see people like they have a house, they have a car, they're talking about it, they don't know how they go. No, man. Never be afraid to try. And no matter what your situation is right now, mm -hmm. you could make it. Like, you could make it. If one thing I want anybody to take from that, you could make it. No matter what's coming against you, you could make it, you know? And and that's one thing I want. If, this, if it's one message they have to get, just tell them, 
you could make it. <laughs> so much good stuff. So much good stuff. <laughs> All right. So anybody who wants to might maybe reach out, see what you're up to, ask you a question, what is a good way that they can reach you? Now, there are many ways. So the first thing you should do, you should go to YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Okay. All it's right. Dr. Katavit. No, I right. tried it because one of the reasons, even after so much years, even after doing so much things locally and internationally, mm-hmm. I would meet people and they would tell you, oh, I didn't know vets do that in Grenada. Like someone had a dog who needed a basic surgery, like the most basic surgery. Yeah. And they were like, I was like, why didn't you just do the surgery? They was like, oh, it's COVID. I was like, what do you mean? It's COVID. Couldn't get it done. I'm like, that's a basic surgery. Any veterinarian could do that. They didn't know that people other than certain institutions could do surgeries on a dog, for instance. So I was like, okay, so I'm going to put this YouTube channel up to get a little bit more awareness as to listen. I'm a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. I'm living in my home country. These are some of the things I see and do on a daily basis. Right. And because I work, I see total stuff. I work with like exotics and then just regular surgery cases. All lots of interesting things. And that was one of the reasons. So if you want to see some of the possibilities or just the things I've been getting up to, you should always subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, right. Other than that, I have a Facebook veterinary page named Dr. Carter Vet as well. Okay. It's been there since 2015. So if you're reaching out, like to right now, we're not trying to like load up on clients. I had to drop a lot of clients um, over the years. <laughs> However, I do take anything exotic, I would take it. Okay. So anything other than normal dog and farm animal cases, any emergency surgeries, I would do it. So like C-section on a pig, any of those kind of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have protocols as to if you're a client of another veterinarian for me to there are protocols in place, but you can still reach out um, on the Facebook channel. You can even my email, it's pretty easy. It's drcartervet at gmail.com. Okay. Um you could send an email about a case or something. I used to be in the yellow pages for a few years, but I haven't been there for a while because I used to ask everyone, uh, where did you get the information from? And unfortunately, not everyone sent the yellow pages. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, so I stopped. Um, no, but yellow pages is very good for some businesses, but unfortunately for me, yeah. it didn't really give those returns. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah. So there's, there's multiple ways, um, but Facebook, I might still be in the phone book. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the phone book in years. I must be honest. <laughs> um, Same. Even just Google, Google Dr. Katavet, Google veterinarian, Grenada. People okay. are going to come up because there's, there are other veterinarians who are qualified veterinarians practicing on the island as well. Right. They may not be, they may not come with as much comprehensive because we may have diagnostics, I have like ultrasound, I have a pharmacy, surgical suite, everything I carry with me. Because mm-hmm. I try to run a problem. And the other thing, oh, let me say that just before I go. I don't take too much time, no? Like people okay. ask me, why didn't you build a building? Um, everywhere you go in the world, yeah. mobile veterinary clinics are there. And a lot of people don't know that because I guess they're not exposed to that, that avenue. Right. So for me, having a, a successful mobile veterinary clinic come to, come to your house, do the blood test, not only is better for the animals in a lot of cases, it's better for the clients, it's better for me. So it's something, it's, a, it's not a new model that I developed. Mm-hmm. It's been successful and it's going, even in the first world countries, there are mobile veterinary clinics that would come to you, do um, companion animals as well as farm animals and exotic animals. 
So the mobile veterinary model is a successful model and because of the Grenadian dynamics, again, you know what if you have a sick dog and you put it on the bus, that bus driver would, would not be happy with you. <laughs> no one, there's no way you can take your pig. So unless you leave the pig in the pen, the vet's going to come to you. Yeah. And because I carry a wide range of um, medication, mm-hmm. so so like I, my dream was that other people coming after me, I wanted to change the standard of veterinary medicine on the island, not just to put a local face, that too, but um, to change the, the standard that other people improve what their quality of work. And that, I could say over the last few years, that has been happening. Yeah. Some of the basic, it has been happening. A lot of things that just people took for granted is happening now that didn't happen before. A lot of the new medication as well. If we ever find something like there's a lot of infectious diseases on the island that keeps going around, mm-hmm. new medical protocol would share it among the veterinary community. Veterinarians are communicating with each other now. Maybe the last two years, but we weren't a lot of communication between each other before. Yeah. And okay. it's happening now. So so it's some there is some things to look forward to. As for me and my career. Because, you know, the international work, I was just working with this cheetah conservation fund in Africa. And I think going forward, I would try to take three to six months every year to do international work. Um, okay. It doesn't pay more, but it gives you that level of fulfillment to know, like, listen, this is an endangered species. It's only X amount of this in the wild. And I could do something to directly affect the survival of this species. You right. know? So it's a, it's a big thing. And to be qualified enough and have the experience and expertise just to be considered for one of these jobs, mm-hmm. I'm very happy that I've gotten to that state. That's and a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah, it's thing. a big thing. <laughs> well, when I get to go to space, I'm going to have to talk to my friend Richard. Yeah. Because if he's going to do commercial to space, I want to be the first veterinarian to work in space as a veterinarian. Not like, I think NASA probably had a vet because they had animals. But like on a commercial airline veterinarian, I want to be up there. I'm going to have to talk to my friend Richard about that. <laughs> I think his number is still in my contact. I don't know. I have to check. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but like places, like even the Galapagos, Antarctica, there's opportunities every now and then. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the kind of way I'm thinking right now, you know, to go there, do that. I mean, Grenada is nice, but you need a break. I would say the sky <laughs> is the limit, but I guess the, I don't know, the moon is the limit, the galaxy? <laughs> <laughs> the galaxy. I'll be the only vet on the Milky Way with a milking cow. <laughs> no, no. Um, but yeah, like one of the things I did that kept me going, because it, it is a struggle here. Mm-hmm. Every year I made sure I did like one continuing education, something somewhere. I did a workshop or something just to improve my knowledge and my qualifications. Mm-hmm. And then I took a break. Now a lot of, we don't learn, we learn work, 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 work. Yeah. You need to take breaks as well. And with the COVID pandemic, traveling has changed. So it's been a long time since I took a break. So going and work in Africa, like earlier this year for three months, that that was a needed break. Mm-hmm. And even though it was a struggle out there, it wasn't like milk and honey again but right. it was necessary and at the end of the day it was a very good experience um a lot of people see that now that you're home you're seeing the same faces you're not going anywhere back to walk home walk home you're now understanding the mental burdens of just walk 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 so hopefully if someone is already trying to teach people you need to take a break whether you go to Karaku, maybe you go to barbados lucia go somewhere see something else experience different people whether it's for a weekend or a week if all the young professionals, that's what I want to tell you. Take a break, 
even when you cannot afford it, go on a holiday. Because guarantee if you fall sick, even to a mental illness or a physical illness, then what would you do, you know? So take some breaks and what else? Have a little fun, play a sport. You don't must play a sport because football injured me. Uh, but you could <laughs> play a sport. <laughs> Find a hobby. Anything. Yeah, could be do a something else. I would accept. Don't ever, don't play that part that I said this, but reading could be a hobby. No, I do not believe that. Why would <laughs> but... I not play that? Reading could be a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, like find a hobby, like something. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that you can do. Even if, if you're bound to even just the shows of Canada, you can go hiking, or swimming, snorkeling, you know? There, there's enough things you can find to do. Appreciate it now while you have it. Because like true. yourself who've lived internationally, you know there's times when you can't go outside for a oh, few yeah. months. Eh? And um, um, all you want is the beach. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I love the beach. I try. I used to take a beach day every week. I keep like beach clothes in my car and I'm walking. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, today is a beach day. We're calling it off. I'm going to the beach. and <laughs> just jump in the water. Yeah. And have a break. Like it's something you need to do because you need to work on your mental health. Another thing that, that like in our culture, there was not a lot of um, emphasis on mental well-being. You hear, mm-hmm. okay, let's see, that man study till he get crazy. You hear that all the time. Nobody yeah. sets that support system up to stay okay. Why did this person get a mental breakdown? You know? And one of the things I try to tell people now that listen, I've set even my company policies. If I have what you call a um, negative experience with people, I say, listen, unfortunately, we'd not be able to offer services to you. Please contact someone else. And I give them some options. Contact one of these people. Because yeah. it, it you have to draw the line. And if you don't take care of yourself, no. When they say Dr. Carter got crazy, for lack of a better term, then that's it for me. Then they get <laughs> they move on to somebody so else. Young, yeah, as a young professional, set some boundaries, take some breaks, and it's gonna be fun. Make sure you have fun though. Like, like there is times when you do certain things, man. That's just so much fun. Like, if you're doing the job like you love, and you're good at it, mm-hmm. and then you can like it's it might even be fun every day. Definitely going to be fun a lot of days. And you take those small wins. No, but there's times like there's like once there was a powerful outbreak everywhere, it's just dead, 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 dead. And you advise people, vaccinate your puppy. This is it. You explain to them what to do. Everything. Yeah. And the same person call you back next year and they got a new dog is vomiting with diarrhea again. The same thing where your dog died from last year. So it there's there are some struggles. But take the small wins. Like take the small wins. Like you, you do a C-section on a dog or a goat. Like there was once, okay, I, I will take all your time. Eh? There was once this lady called me. That was one of the best moments ever too. I remember that when I had one, a vet, a new grad vet that was seeing practice with me to finish mm-hmm. her veterinary degree. She's actually from St. George's University as well. And she studied in Australia actually. Okay. And she came back, she needed a month and she did it with me. Um, And we went to a goat. Someone called me the goat. The, the water broke, that's what they say. It was in labor three days before. Oof. And an elderly lady, she could not get a veterinarian three days. So I told her on the phone, I'm like, listen, the, the kid is most likely dead, but we're going to come and take it out to save the mother. Mm-hmm. So we went there knowing we're going to save one. And I got there and I put my hands in and the kid was moving. Three days after this goat was in labor wow. and we took it out. It was a little buck, he was a male and he was alive. 
And believe you me, that was one of the most exciting things ever because uh, like, it's not even supposed to be possible. Yeah. That three days after labor, this animal is alive. And this kid wow. was alive. And that was crazy. And it was, it was a memorable moment. I probably still have a photo of it on my phone. That was a lot of years ago, though. Maybe it was 2016. <laughs> yeah. But it was crazy. And so you, you do have these small wins that you get. And you could sometimes when you're having a bad moment, you could dwell on the small wins. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to need something to fall back on, you know? Yeah. And everything is an experience, good or bad, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Dr. Carter, it's been... I, re- I, I learned so much. I had laughs. I had everything in this conversation. So thank you for taking the time. And we really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the course. <laughs> and to the listeners, thank you for joining us on today's pathway. 